Yo, 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 what's good, everybody? What is good? What's up? What's happening? How's everybody doing? Welcome back to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast, the IKP. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Fresh, fresh. Um, Obviously, conference finals. We are nearing towards the end of the NBA season. We got two more rounds left. Um, Phoenix got off to a hot start. In their series versus the Clippers, they're up 1-0. The Philadelphia, I mean, well, the Philadelphia 76ers, I'm going to get to them. But the Milwaukee Bucks and the Atlanta Hawks, they're going to be hosting the Eastern Conference Finals. So I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I'm excited. So first and foremost, I'm your humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah Kitt of the Isaiah Kitt Podcast. I I I hope all of you guys are doing well. I am doing fine. I hope you guys are staying healthy, wealthy. Um, we got obviously, you guys know we got a lot to get into today. We got a, we got we got some things to get into and to touch on. It's gonna be a lot of NBA playoff talk because uh, I got to break down a couple game sevens. Uh, like I said, obviously we're you know we're entering into the conference finals and into the final stage uh, of the NBA postseason as we're moving forward and forward. Um, I got a couple things I want to point out about this playoffs or this postseason, uh, in particularly. So yes, let's start. Let's start in Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, right? So as we all know, as you guys are aware already, the Philadelphia 76ers, they played the Atlanta Hawks in a game seven. At home, they lost. They their season has ended once again in the second round. The Philadelphia 76ers. I don't know if you guys remember, and I because I know we got you know some new listeners, new listeners coming into the pod, listening to the pod, but just a week ago, I talked about the 76ers and their core problem. And I basically said, and it was it was after the game five tobacco. It was after they blew the huge lead at home and Atlanta had come back and tied up the series. And I talked about how Joel Embiid squandered in the big moment. And I talked about Ben Simmons and his inability to shoot the basketball. And now we're here. I have three people that I want to talk about as far as the 76ers. Those three people are Doc Rivers, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid. Now, let's. I think it's a bit e- like. So as I explained last week, as I explained last week, in order to solve a problem, you have to admit that you have the problem. That's the first step to solving any type of problem. You have to admit that there is an actual problem. And with the 76ers, previous regimes, previous coaches, you know what they told the 76ers fan base that's fed up at this point? Trust the process. Trust the process. We're going to figure out how we're going to figure out Embiid and Simmons and how they're going to play together. We're going to figure it out. That's what the previous regime told the 76ers fan base. This year, Doc Rivers, Daryl Morey, new regime, new coach, 
You know what they told the 76ers fan base? You know what they told the people in Philadelphia? We going to figure it out. Trust the process. Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, we can win with these two guys. Well, I'm here to tell people the process is over. There's no more trusting the process. The process is over. It's over. The process is over. And like I said, we can talk we can talk about Tobias Harris. Yeah, he makes five, yeah, yeah, he makes 180 million dollars. But we can talk about Tobias Harris. Yeah, he didn't play well. He didn't play great. Okay. But Ben Simmons at this point he's obviously an offensive liability. I talked about like I said, I talked about it. I talked about the 76ers core problems last week. When they went, when when they when they let Atlanta come back from Game Five, I still had Philadelphia winning the series, but I was very eerie. I was very eerie, and that should have been my sign about the 76ers, because I I continue to talk about the 76ers and their problems and how they cannot seem to figure out this riddle with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid in Game Seven. This entire series. This entire series in itself, not just game five, not just game seven, this entire series is basically a reflection and a summary of the three people that I'm going to talk about. Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Doc Rivers. Keep those three people in mind. This series was a reflection and a summary of these three people. Ben Simmons, offensive liability. He does not work on his jump shot. He's been, he's, I think, was this is fourth or fifth year in the league, has not worked on his jump shot. I'm not saying he has to have a three point shot, but good Lord, have some confidence going up to the free throw line. I got an interesting stat for you guys Ben Simmons missed 45 free throws in the playoffs this year. He missed 45 free throws. The Atlanta Hawks as a team missed 35 free throws. The Phoenix Suns missed 29 free throws. The Brooklyn Nets missed 22 free throws. Ben Simmons has literally missed more free throws than some teams. And, and, this, and, and this is what I'm going to talk about with Giannis later on. Is Ben Simmons a worker? Is he a grinder? Because I saw his facial expression. I saw his body language. I, and, and when he passed up that dunk in game seven, everybody's talking about that play. At that point, it was something mental. It was something mental. I don't know what has gotten into Ben Simmons. But good Lord, he's an offensive liability. He's making way too much money. He's making, he's, he's making way too much money to be an offensive liability and to be a player that you literally have to snatch out the game down the stretch. Let's talk, Okay, so Ben Simmons, we get it. Offensive liability. Um, yes, he does so many things well. Like he's a great defender. Yes, he he's, he he could play make okay, but 
If you're going to have a dominant force like Joel Embiid in the inside, your perimeter play ju- has to be just as good or it has to be some it has to be comparable. Ben Simmons is nowhere near it and Ben Simmons I I, I just don't see the improvement. Ben Simmons peak was his second year in the league. Since then, it's been nothing. He hasn't improved. He hasn't takes he hasn't he hasn't taken that next leap that many Philly fans thought he would. Okay, Joel Embiid. So that's 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 who Ben Simmons has been. That's that that's the it's been indicative. It's him. Joel Embiid. He averaged 30 and 12 in this series. Joel Embiid averaged 30 and 12 in this series, but he only shot 47, nearly 47%. I mean, his num like when you look at his numbers. They don't look bad, but I actually watched the games. And down the stretch of some of these games, Joel Embiid, he moved, he took shots further and further and further away from the basket. He took shots further and further away from the basket. So, like, like I said, you you look at the numbers, you go to his stats, you're like, oh, you know, Joel Embiid, he played well, 30 and 12, you know. But I saw him down the stretch. The 76ers are horrible. Their late game, their late game execution is horrible. It's horrible. And, and, and to be honest, I don't know who their closer is. I don't know who their closer is. Not, it's damn sure not Ben Simmons. I mean, Joel Embiid, like I said, and down the stretch, he took he further, further away. He took shots further, further away from the basket. So they don't have a closer. And I know he had the torn meniscus, but he was dominant in the first two games. Joel Embiid was dominant and killing. I, I don't know what it is. I, I don't know what it is, but the, the process is over in Philadelphia. So, like I said, I actually watched the games. Joel Embiid down the stretch, he disappeared, especially in game seven. He got stripped by Gallinari. He has the ball up top of the key. He's trying to make plays, but he gets stripped by Gallinari. It's a summary of it's this is this whole series was a summary of the Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons era in Philadelphia. It was a summary. And now Doc Rivers. I had I, so I talked about this a little bit last episode. The previous episode. You guys can go back and listen to that. I talked about Doc Rivers and I talked about postseason coaching. I just went, I, I, you know, I talked about Ben. I criticized Ben. I criticized Joel Embiid. And I talked about late game execution. Down the stretch of the postseason, late game execution, yes, you got to have a closer. But some of this stuff is on Doc Rivers. And like I said, we got we to gotta get away from labeling and, la- and letting guys continue and sustain certain reputations because for the life of me doc rivers continues continues continuously he gets great he gets opportunity up after opportunity doc rivers was literally a coach who blew a 3-1 lead last year doc rivers is literally a coach who is now he's lost three straight game sevens doc rivers is literally a coach who is six and nine in game sevens? Doc Rivers is literally a coach who leads the NBA. 
He's the all-time leader in NBA history for blown 3-1 leads by a coach. This is the same Doc Rivers that we're talking about. Doc Rivers is no way, and I and I, I know I'm talking about Philly collapsing and people want to show Atlanta love. I want to show a, I want to show the Hawks love too. I think Trey Young was awesome throughout this series. Big shout out to Nate McMillan and those Hawks. But it's no way for Philadelphia to be the number one seed. You cannot allow the Hawks to win three out of their four games at Philadelphia. You cannot allow that. And that comes that comes down to coaching. Game five, blew a 26-point lead. That's coaching. That's coaching. I want that's coaching. <laughs> this stuff is this this stuff is coaching. Lack of adjustments. I mean. We got to stop calling Doc Rivers a, a quote-unquote elite coach, a top-tier coach. We got to stop calling him that because he's not that. Doc Rivers is not that. And everybody talks about his days with the Celtics, his days with the Clippers. But this Doc Rivers thing, it dates all the way back to 2003 when he was the coach of the Orlando Magic. He blew a 3-1 lead to the Detroit Pistons in 2003 when he was the coach of the Orlando Magic. But then we have this extensive track record, you know, blue lead, he blew leads in Boston. He obviously, I mean, to be honest, he should have won more. He should have won more than one championship in Boston, but that's neither here or there. The Clippers blown lead, just blue leads, playoff meltdown after playoff meltdown. And now we find himself. We find himself. He blew. A, he blew an eighteen-point lead in Game Four. Blew an eight, and he blew a five, a twenty-six-point lead in Game Five. And now he lost another Game Seven yet again, back to back years. Back to back years, he he lost the Game Seven. So, <laughs> Philadelphia, the process is over. Ah, uh, the process is over. The 76ers, they need to go ahead and try to explore some trade options for Ben Simmons. Uh, I know his value isn't that particularly high uh, right now because of his play. I think there's there's somebody out there. there there's a team out there or two that, that would be willing to tr- trade for Ben Simmons. But the process is over. No more trust the process. The, the Philly fan base trusted the process. And the process did not go through. It's time to blow it up. As I mentioned, these are the 76ers core problems. Uh, I mentioned the three guys. The three guys that everybody's talking about that we should be talking about. Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers, we can't. Ben Simmons, offensive liability, huge offensive liability. We talk about defensive liabilities, but. Ben Simmons is an offensive liability, and it's bad. Joel Embiid, I don't know. He, you know, he's always been a guy that's dealt with injuries. You know, with big men, big men when they're hurt early, they're hurt often. When big men get hurt early, they're 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 often hurt. They're, they're, they they get hurt often. Um, so I don't know if I don't know if Embiid didn't have enough down the stretch to close out games. I don't know, but he looked fatigued. And then Doc Rivers, glorified choke artist. We cannot, we we got to stop calling Doc Rivers an elite coach. We got to, we got to stop calling Doc Rivers an elite coach, a top tier coach, when 
he continues to have playoff meltdown and playoff blunder after after one. Like, we just can't. At some point, we got to stop. At some point, we got to stop it. Um, I'm going to shift gears. I'm going to move on to uh, the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm going to talk about the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks. The Isaiah K Podcast, we're here. Um, let's move forward. So, you know, Game 7, Milwaukee Bucks and the, the Brooklyn Nets. The Milwaukee Bucks and the Brooklyn Nets, Game 7. Uh, we all know the outcome. We should know all the outcome, you know, the result of that. Uh, so the Bucks move on to the Eastern Conference Finals. The Brooklyn Nets got eliminated. Um, let's start with Milwaukee. I'm going to start with Milwaukee, the winner of the uh, of the semis of this series. And I want to talk about Giannis. And we talked about Ben Simmons earlier. And I think the one difference between Ben Simmons and Giannis is the mere fact that Giannis is a grinder. He's a guy that seems like he doesn't run away from the work. He puts in the grind. And he's not – and we got to – and thinking about it, I actually, like, sat back and think about it uh, or thought about it. And he had he – had, 40 points in, in in the closeout game in the game seven for Giannis to do all of the things that he's done and accomplish, you know, two-time MVP and so forth. He's not even that skilled of a basketball player. Like his basket, like his actual basketball skills are not that great. So the fact that he's able to put up these numbers and the thing, you know, and all the things that he's accomplished is quite impressive. I mean, because like I said, he's not like when you look at his skills, like if we're talking about his skills, like basketball skills, it's not that great. Kevin Durant is way more skilled, way more skilled than Giannis. But like I said, Giannis is a grinder, he's a worker, and he's worked hard. I mean, even with his free throw shooting, Ben Simmons, I talked about Ben Simmons and his lack, you know how bad he was at the free throw line this postseason. I look at game seven of the Milwaukee Bucks and the Nets. Giannis shot, I think he was shot seven for 11 from the free throw line, if I'm not mistaken. But he was, he, he like, he can, you could tell he was a bit confident, even when the crowd was, you know, counting down, doing the 10 second count or whatever. He was comfortable. He was calm. He looked confident as he took more free throws. He looked confident throughout the game. And it made me think about it because I even talked about this um, last year when the Milwaukee Bucks Bucks got eliminated by the Miami Heat. And it was so much criticism from Giannis. You know, obviously, you, you know, number one seed last year, people are expecting you to do or to get past the second round. And even throughout this series, criticizing Giannis, and I was criticizing Giannis too. I was critical of Giannis too. And I'm not saying we can't be critical, but we like we banging on him. He's and Giannis, get this. Giannis is only 26. Only 26. And it made me think about NBA legends that re that we revere and hold to high regard, rightfully so. They didn't start, and I, I'm thinking of it. They didn't start winning championships until they were 26, 27, 28. And with the Milwaukee Bucks, like with the with the teams remaining left, you know, the Clippers, Phoenix, Phoenix is obviously rolling, and I'm gonna talk about them. Uh, you know, Atlanta, 
the Milwaukee, this is the opportunity for the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis to win the championship, to win it all. And he'd be 26 doing it. Like, I think about Michael Jordan, you know, it took three. And like I said, context matters always. Context matters. But in this sport, we see our legends. We see superstars that go through disappointments and failures and shortcomings before they usually find success. That's the only point I'm trying to make. We see we all-time greats, all-time greats to play in the NBA. They, they, it took a couple of failures, years of failures, of failing and disappointing and disappointments before they found success. And like, like I said, Michael Jordan, it you know, three first round exits. He couldn't get past the bad boy Pistons, two Eastern Conference Finals exits, and then he wins his first championship. You look at LeBron. LeBron, you know. Three second round exits, an Eastern Conference Finals exit. He lost in the finals in 07. It took him leaving Cleveland to go to Miami and win a championship. I think he was 27 when he did that in 2012. I mean, you know, Kobe coming into the league as a youngster, two second round exits, a Western Conference final exit. He won a championship in 2000. You know, you look at even Shaq. Shaq, first round exit in Orlando. You know, lost in the finals to Hakeem. You know, it took him leaving Orlando, going to L.A. It took a couple years in L.A. before he won a championship. I mean, there's so many examples we can point to, to where our all-time greats, the like like LeBron, Jordan, like LeBron, and, Mo, and some of you guys' eyes is the greatest player of all time. Michael Jordan, in a lot of you guys' eyes, is the greatest player of all time. It takes time. Winning championships, building this type of resume, it takes time. So I'm glad for Giannis that he got over the hump. It's like, we, I think, you know, we, we, coming into this series, if you pick Milwaukee to win it, to win this series, you knew this was going to be tough. This was like the juggernaut. So the fact that Giannis was able to rise above and, 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 he, and he earned game seven. Now, like I said, context matters. Brooklyn wasn't fully healthy, but injuries are a part of the game. And Giannis, Giannis prevailed, and Giannis he overcame he, he he overcame his lack of skills, his lack of shooting, and he got to the Eastern Conference Finals and beat Brooklyn. So you know, major props to Giannis. And like I said, sometimes you gotta fail before you succeed. And Gian, and like I said, there's a trend of NBA legends. There's, I mean, I can go. The list goes on and on and on. Dirk Nowitzki, Kevin Garnett, like the list. The list goes on and on and on with all-time greats winning. You know, before them winning, before they won championships, a lot of failures, a lot of moments where they didn't play their best and so forth. It, it, it and Giannis, you know, he gets through it. And like I said, the the door is wide open for the Milwaukee Bucks to win the championship this year. Now, let's shift gears to the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets, who I pick, um, I, I assume that they would be fully healthy, and I picked them to win this series in seven games. I did. Um, now, I'm not going to use the injuries as an excuse. Obviously, it impacted the series. Uh, like, you know, obviously Harden getting hurt in the first couple minutes, first couple seconds 
of game one and, you know, Kyrie getting hurt in game four, like obviously that impacted the series, but I don't want to make that, that like that the excuse um, because I mean, if Durant's foot is behind the line in regulation, if, if, if he wears a size smaller, they would we would be talking about the Brooklyn Nets getting you know playing in the Eastern Conference Finals versus the Hawks. Um, let me tell you this. So I, you know, this this whole Nets thing, Durant play uh, like Durant play out of his mind. He played some great basketball. Um, and and he, and he probably he probably won over some people as far as how people look at the game. You know, he probably went over some people. I've been talking to a lot of people about, you know, the game seven. I've been hearing a lot of opinions. And it seems like the, you know, it seems like people have kind of, you know, they they appreciate the performance that the rant and the effort that he gave. Obviously, it wasn't enough. Now, this whole Brooklyn Nets team, and I talked about it um when the trade first happened and you know, before the playoffs. Like I talked about <clears throat> A couple things that I, you know, that I worried about, even despite despite me, despite me having those worries, I still picked the Nets to get out the Eastern Conference. Uh, I still picked the Nets to win this series. So, like I said, I'm not trying to use it as an excuse. Obviously, the injuries played the impact in winning the series. But a couple things that I noted uh, about this Brooklyn Nets team and going into the playoffs, there were there's usually Here's I'm a, I'm a list I'm a list off a few things that championship teams usually have. Not all, but usually championship teams have these things that I'm about to list. First is continuity and team chemistry. Teams that usually win the championship usually have some type of continuity and team chemistry. Obviously, this Brooklyn Nets team as assembled did not have that. Um, they added, they, you know, they added James Harden, like not too, like they added James Harden a little bit, I think it was in January. So they added James Harden in January, but the big three only played 10 games together. Like they literally only played 10 games together, um, throughout the regular season. So that's just not enough continuity, enough team chemistry to actually, and they, when they played together, they look really good. When they play, they look really good, and the Nets as a whole look really good. But we just didn't get to see much of those sightings. So they that was that was one thing that the Brooklyn Nets, this year's Brooklyn Nets, had going against them. Continuity and team chemistry. Usually championship caliber team, usually a team, usually teams that have won the championship have some type of experience and continuity and team chemistry playing with each other. So that's the first thing. Second thing is defense. The Brooklyn Nets defense this year, at times it had its bright moments, but it was it was not a really good defense. They didn't they didn't play much defense, and some of that was based upon the lack of rim protection that they lost, you know, with Jared Allen. Now, prior to the Jared Allen, prior to the James Harden, you know, trade, they were like a middle of the pack type of defense. After that, they kind of fell off. They they. At times, they would look okay defensively, but overall, the Brooklyn Nets were not a team that played a lot of defense and were, you know, really highly competitive on that end. Um, and like I tell you guys all the time, defense, a lot of defense is just effort. Uh, I don't think Brooklyn had any type of, like, they didn't own, per, as far as personnel-wise, 
they didn't have any like defensive stoppers. They didn't have that. They they just didn't have that. Um, and then you know, so defensively, and also I threw out that stat for you guys. You can go back and look at the last thirty years at the past. You can look at the last thirty champions. The last thirty years, teams that have won the championship are usually top ten as far as their defensive rating. They usually have a top 10 defensive rating. The outlier to that is the 2001 the 2001 Lakers. The 2001 Lakers, and there's a caveat behind the 2001 Lakers. The 2001 Lakers won the championship, but they were so dominant. They were so dominant that they, you know, they took nights off in the regular season. But once the postseason started, they had the number one defense. So that's the caveat with the 2001 Lakers. They were so good, they took some nights off on the, during the regular season, but in the postseason, when it was time to win and when it was time to lace up, they became an elite and the best defensive team. So that's the key. You like usually, you, like I said, you can look back. You can look back the past 30 years, even 40 years. You gotta have a top 10 rated defense. That's usually how the way it goes. You got to be within that top 10-ish. There's a there's a few teams scattered that's like 11, 12, but you usually got to be within that top 10. Um, and then lastly, you got to have some type of seasoned coach, a, a coach with um, that's seasoned and have some type of experience. Steve Nash didn't have that. Steve Nash, first-year head coach, and I thought there were some – I thought there were times where Steve Nash, you know, cost him this series – I would have liked to me personally. I I would like to see Steve Nash play Nicholas Claxton more. Um, you know DeAndre Jordan. He could have he could have spotted DeAndre Jordan a couple of minutes here and there. Um, you know, so first year coach, all of those things. So those things that I listed are things that usually champion NBA champions usually have or they do. You know, so the Nets the Nets had that going against them. They had that going against them, and I just look at the fact. These big three, these when these team, when you put these big three teams together, they usually don't win in the first year. You think about LeBron and Miami; they didn't win the first year. You these team, when you put these teams together, um, that's so top heavy. They don't win. They don't win the first year. They just don't. They you it usually takes them a year to get it all right and get it all together, and then they win a championship. Um, and, and and that speaks to my point, one of my points that I listed about team chemistry. Got to have continuity. Got to have team chemistry. That All of that is is why is I think team chemistry and continuity is a big reason why usually teams, uh, these big three teams, usually don't win the first year. That's, you, that's, 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 some, that's part of the reason. But um, <clears throat> Brooklyn – I think Brooklyn, I think they'll be back next year. I think they'll be better than other. Um, hopefully the three guys, KD, Harden, Kyrie, can all be healthy. Um, you know, it it wasn't out of like you gotta start when people tell you who they are, you gotta you, you gotta believe them. And I hate to be this guy, but Kyrie Irving is often hurt in big time moments. Um, even dating back to some of his years with LeBron, he's often hurt in big time moments and situations. Um, and with James Harden, we know James Harden doesn't have the best playoff resume, right? So like some of it, 
some of Harden and Kyrie, even though I know, and I know Kyrie got hurt, which is unfortunate. And injuries are like, is this a part of the game? But boy, oh boy, it seems like Kyrie is always injured and not there when you need him the most or in these type of moments as far as like the postseason. And then with James Harden, yes, he had he had, he had an injury, he had a hamstring injury. But it seems like, damn, it's like he can never come through for you in big-time moments, in big-time situations. Uh, so, you know, all of that put together, I think that's what did the Nets in. Um, also, when you have the when you have a big three, and when you're so top heavy, your your, your bench, your depth, it, it's kind of hard to you know in a salary cap league. <clears throat> even though the NBA is more flexible in, than the NFL salary cap, like the NBA salary cap is more flexible than NFLs, but it's still very hard to you know fill out different bench needs and different needs on your bench. When you have three players that's so top heavy, you know, so I'm very curious to see what Brooklyn does this offseason to, uh, you know, to compensate that with the big three. I like I said, I think they'd be back better than ever next year. Hopefully they're healthy. But, um, you know, those those key points that I mentioned about what championship teams usually have, the Nets didn't have them in the course of history. History just proved right again. History proves right again. Um, so, yeah. That's my take on um, the game seven. Um, Joe Harris obviously should have could have shot better. Jeff Green could have shot better. Like I said, Steve Nash rotations bit sketchy. Um, some of his lack of adjustments a bit sketchy. But you know, I think they'd be back better than ever next year. Hopefully, those guys are healthy. So let's go on to the Western Conference Finals. That the series that has already begun. Um, the Phoenix Suns, even without Chris Paul, they. Um, they didn't miss a beat, and I and I'm and I don't want to say that like you know his presence his presence wasn't missed, but the Phoenix Suns offensively looked fluent because I know some people still had questions about um you know can you know would this team be feasible can they can they survive without Chris Paul game one it sure looked like it behind Devin Booker's forty point triple double um they're playing the Clippers. The Clippers obviously uh, won two back-to-back games in their semifinal series versus the Utah Jazz, where Terrence Mann had the game of his life. Um, I want to talk about Phoenix because, and, and I'm, I'm gonna give you a rundown of this series. I so before I even talk about Phoenix, I think this series is gonna be really entertaining. Um, I, I, I like I told you guys. I think I told you guys. I've been saying this over and over again. But the two best coaches so far throughout the postseason so far has been Ty, Ty, Tyron Lue, Ty Lue, and Monty Williams. In my opinion, my judgment, I think those have been the two best coaches in the entire postseason so far. And I was very curious to see the chess match between, their, between those two guys. Um, I don't think... At the clip, so it looks like Ty Lue, he went deep into his rotation once again. Uh, he's playing all of his guys now, mind you. I think, I think, I, and, and the, the strategy that I'm seeing with Ty Lue is Ty Lue, you, you know, usually in the playoffs, you see coaches stick with their best seven to eight guys. Usually, you see coaches go seven to eight deep. Now, mind you, some teams, some coaches don't have the benefit 
uh, of having the depth and being and having a deep bench like the Clippers do. But also, coaches are just very reluctant to play more than eight guys, um, especially during the postseason. Tyron Lue, he's he's just turned around that whole point, that whole that whole tactic. Tyron Lue's turned it around, and he doesn't. He's not afraid to play 10, 11 guys. He'll play. Sometimes he has sit Patrick Beverly for a couple games. And just play Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard. Like, Tyron Lue's not scared. He uses all of his roster. All of the guys, all the players, on he, he literally uses all of them. Um. So, and like I said, the Clippers are missing two starters. They're missing Ibaka and Kawhi, and they're still deep. So it just goes to show you how deep and how much depth the Clippers have. And like I said, teams, certain teams, some teams don't have the luxury of having uh, such a deep roster like the Clippers. So Ty Lue is taking a tactic that's the mere opposite to uh, coaches that's, you know, that's that, you know, within the postseason, you usually don't see coaches go 10 deep. Tyron Lue has no problem doing that. Um, so I think there's going to be a, a really compelling and interesting series. Uh, is You know, people are trying to, you know, figure out whether Kawhi is coming back or not. The Clippers have been keeping this injury under wraps really well. I mean, there's been a couple leaks, but like we we can't really confirm if it's an ACL. Like we don't know, we really don't know the severity of it. They keep saying it's a knee sprain, it's a knee sprain, an ACL sprain. If it is that, me personally, I don't think Kawhi is going to come back. I I just don't think he's going to come back from a knee sprain um in this series at least. So I'm I'm looking and I'm pick I'm pick, I'm predicting this series as if Kawhi isn't going to come back, and with that I'm going to pick the Phoenix Suns to win this series probably in like seven games, six or seven games. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Phoenix in six games. I think the Clippers will be good enough to get two, um, probably two at home, probably two games at home, but um, Phoenix, I, I, you know, we, we're hoping, you know, I know Phoenix fans are hoping that they can get Chris Paul back, like, game three, maybe. Um, but I, I think Phoenix, they're just more cohesive. Uh, Devin Booker is Devin, Devin Booker is probably the best player in this series. Like, I don't think that's – I don't think that's necessarily a reach or a hot take. I think that's, le- like, legitimate. I think he's the best player in this series. Some might make the argument he's the best player left in the playoffs. Some people may make that argument. And that's – I think that's a very compelling one. I think that's really interesting. But Devin Booker, he, you know, he continues to improve, to improve. And I, I, always, I always have liked Devin Booker in his game. It's just that he's playing in June now. I'm just glad people are now getting more exposure to this guy because he's always been a guy like a, a great offensive player. Um, and there was some there were and defensively, there were some times and some in some possessions where I saw Devin Booker guarding Paul George, and he did he did a solid job. He did a solid job. I'm not saying he's a first team all defensive guy, but he did a solid job on the on, like when you think of Devin Booker, you don't think about his defense, but he did a solid job on Paul George. Um, I just think with the with with Phoenix, 
they're 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 kind of deep too. They got a they got a fine balance. They got a balanced roster. I feel like, but I know for basketball purists and basketball traditionalists, you know, and so forth. I know Phoenix has to be just a breath of fresh air because when you and I'm not saying there this is the right way and players can't join up and team up with each other. I'm not saying that, but when you look at this Phoenix roster and how James Jones has orchestrated it, you know, you got Devin Booker who is the best player. Chris Paul may be more valuable, but Chris, but Devin Booker is the best player in the way how James Jones has uh filled out this roster and put the necessary weapons around Devin Booker. It's really impressive. Um, and it, it, it kind of like, you know, when looking at that, looking at that Warriors teams or those Warrior teams, you know, uh, the core of the Golden State Warriors were drafted, which is Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond. Those all three of those guys were drafted. Now, when you add Durant, obviously he's a free agent signing, but Durant, um, he takes them to the next level. And with Phoenix, you know, you got Devin Booker. They drafted DeAndre and They drafted Cam Johnson. They drafted Makai Bridges. Then you have a couple free agent signings um, or, you know, tr- offseason acquisitions and trades that you were able to get. Like you traded for Chris Paul. You, 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 know, you signed Jay Crowder. It's just pieces like that. It's little pieces like that. Um, I think it's just a breath of fresh air for basketball purists. Who who's not who 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 they may not be um fans of the new player empowerment era, but Phoenix has it all. Phoenix has a, a traditional point guard in Chris Paul, the ultimate point guard of this generation in Chris Paul. They have Devin Booker, who's the like he's like a per, like he's the premier shooting guard that you want in today's NBA. Three level score. Has a has a fine post game, polished offensive skills. He is he is the prototypical shooting guard. Then you have guys on the wings as your forwards, such as Makai Bridges, Jay Crowder, who are three and D guys. They got good length. Um, Crowder is a veteran. He's a vet. He's been around. He's been around the league for a while now, for a few for several years. Um, Makai Bridges, like I said, young guy, Phoenix drafted really good out of Villanova and he knows his role. And then with Aiden, you got the big fella, DeAndre Aiden. He is, he's what you want. Like I know a lot of, and like I said, a, a lot of basketball peers and traditionalists, they probably get so fed up with bigs. Like obviously Joel, like bigs like Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic are like better than DeAndre Aiden. But Aiden is somewhat like the, t- the prototypical big that you want in today's game. Athletic, mobile, agile, can finish around the rim. He he can extend his range a little bit. Um, he's not quite a three point shooter, but but like I said, basketball peers, some basketball peers don't want their big out out there at three point land. Some people like their bigs inside, and that's what Aiden is. He can score with it. He can score with with inside. He doesn't necessarily need a bunch of post up touches. So that's really good. That's what you that's the that's the type of big that you want in today's game. And he fits right in. He's DeAndre Aiden is the big that you can plug in and fit right in when you have a group of guys around him 
who can score, and then he feeds off of that as well. So I like I like the way how they built this team. Um, like I said, not to mention other pieces that they have on the bench, like Cam Johnson, Cameron Payne, really good pickups, really good finds, um, in, either in the draft or in free agency or, or so forth. James Jones, it's it, it's completely deserved why he won. Uh, you know, he, he completely deserves the executive of the executive of the year award because he really did a thing with this team and it's well, it's well functioned. And this, this can, this is a number, this is another formula to building a championship caliber team. So small market teams, um, or middle of the pack market teams, you know, you don't, you can't necessarily attract the star power. You can't necessarily attract three, two and three stars, maybe. But this is a formula. You just you you just gotta draft right. You gotta draft right. You gotta put your chips. You gotta put your chips in the right places. You gotta get the right camaraderie. You gotta get the right guys. You gotta draft well. This is why, like, when people. This is why I always push back about when people talk about small market teams and not being able to keep stars. Um, and I know this is kind of, I know for Adam Silver, I know he's kind of like, I know he's kind of happy that the net, like, I'm not saying now, obviously if the Nets were in the finals or would have made the finals, ratings would be good. You know, you got your stars, you got the biggest stars on the Nets, you know, some of the biggest stars of your league on the Nets, but think about it. The Nets, it's like an AAU team. What they did is like AAU. You know, you get the best player uh, from one state, you get the, the best player from another state, and you get the best player from another state, and they just come together with no continuity. Like, that would have been bad for the NBA. Like, as far because, you know, this offseason would have been crazy if the Nets would have won the championship. But with this, with right now, how it is currently, you have small market teams that's able to that's that's gonna be able to win a championship. Like you have your Milwaukee's, your um your Phoenix, Atlanta's not really a small market. The Clippers is not, you know, LA is obviously not a small market. Atlanta is not a small market. But you but you had like a Phoenix and Milwaukee. This is why I push back on team on, on when people say small market teams can't win championships or is like obviously it's a bit more. It could be a bit more difficult happening to draft the right guys and pick out the right guys, but it can be done. It can be done. It can be done. And I think we're set. I think we are going to have, in my opinion, we're going to have a Phoenix and Milwaukee finals. How interesting would that be? I think we are going to have a Phoenix and Milwaukee finals. And I would be, I, me personally, I would be intrigued. I would be intrigued. That's just me. Usually, you know, the NBA root for the big market, you know, we want big markets, big markets to get, you know, within, you know, these type of positionings and positions. But I'm not mad at a Phoenix and Milwaukee series. I watch. I would watch a Phoenix and Milwaukee series. I would I, I would watch that. I would take that as the NBA finals. Obviously, it's not going to be like that every year, but I would take that. I think that I think that's great. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to this Philadelphia uh, situation with the 76ers. And um, <clears throat> I just find it funny. You know, we, we talk about Ben Simmons. We talked about Doc Rivers, who I think the, I think most people would probably say that those two were the head of the problem with the 76ers. And the reason why they lost the series, we could talk about Ben Simmons and 
his limitations offensively and him being a liability. Um, and then we could talk about the coaching um, and the lack of adjustments from Doc Rivers. And I, I, I just want to play you guys this small clip right here uh, where Doc Rivers is talking about Ben Simmons possibly be, you know, possibly, you know, fixing his jump shot and talking about how his jump shot and his problem is fixable. Exactly what we want to do. Um, I, I'm, I'm positive uh, in Ben. I'm very bullish on Ben still. Um, and um, but there's work, you know, Mark, there are there is. Uh, and Ben will be willing to do it. Uh, and that's the key. Um, you know, sometimes you have to go through stuff to see it uh, and, and be honest with it. When people tell you, when people show you who they are, believe them. Ben Simmons has been showing you over the past five years now, his, this is his fifth year in the NBA. He has shown you he's not a great shooter. And according, and just looking at, I mean, how in the last five years, how has he got, how has he not gotten better as a shooter? I don't know. But Doc Rivers talked about how, okay, Ben Simmons can't shoot. We know what the problem is, and Ben's going to work on it. Well, what has been what has Ben been doing this whole entire time? What has Ben Simmons been doing over the past four years over the offseason? Because the fact that we like we're having this conversation as for a guy that's in his fifth year in the league, um, and as and and, and has accomplished the things he's accomplished, it's quite it's quite embarrassing. It's it's quite embarrassing, and it speaks to I mean. Doc Rivers, his comments about Ben after the game were questionable, and we could we can get into all of that, but I don't know how you make this a salvageable, a salvageable situation. When, like I said, when people show you or tell you who they are, when people show you who they are, believe them. Ben Simmons have shown you who he is, and even his playmaking. Like we talk about all the other things that he do, but even his playmaking is a bit overrated at this point. His playmaking is a bit overvalued at this point because in the half court game, he his he's not attacking and creating shots for others. Like throughout the series, if you watch the series in the half court, he's bringing the ball up and then he tosses it right to Seth Curry and then goes right there on a the low post. He runs to the low post. He runs baseline. So he's not even creating in his his like his playmaking ability that we all talk about isn't even being on display. His playmaking ability it shows in the open court, but a lot of that like I watched the series, a lot of his assists and we got and this is and this is why I say we got to get away from assists. Like people often think, oh, assists totals and assist numbers equals good playmaking because he 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 you know he averages quite a bit of assists. But is he really playmaking? Is he really making others around him better? Because I I see like what I over this series when I've been watching Ben Simmons, I see him pile up a a bunch of assists just off of easy passes, easy basic one on one basketball, like like elementary, like that. That's the right pass you make. 
I've seen them make a lot of those. So thinking about a new destination for Ben Simmons, because I don't, like I said, I don't even know if this thing is salvageable in Philadelphia, a team like the Warriors, where the Warriors are compiled of shooters and scorers, obviously. You get you obviously you get Steph Curry, you get Klay Thompson. You're gonna have shooters um to, to on both wings. That's the type of situation Ben Simmons needs to be thrust into. Um, I, I don't know how the Warriors would could make that work as far as like as Ben Simmons' contract. It only gets it, it, it's it's heavy. It, it, you know his contract is worth a lot, and his value isn't particularly high. So I don't know how that would work out as far as like ideally in like realistic trade, but a situation like the Golden State Warriors would perfectly fit Ben Simmons, where it takes off it takes it it takes that scoring onus off of Ben Simmons. He doesn't have to be the second or third option. It, it, you know, I think I think a situation such as that. It, it would be would would benefit Ben Simmons and would basically um, resurrect his career per se. I think that would help him the most is getting in the right system uh, that fits him. Because in Philadelphia, you you look at you're looking at this is this is Joel Embiid's team. Embiid needs he needs the inside to dominate. Uh, I just don't outside of Seth Curry. Philadelphia shooters a bit streaky. I like Shake Milton. Shake Milton has some big games in this series, but you know, you look at the personnel of the 76ers, it's a bit streaky at times. It, you know, the sh- their shooting can be a bit streaky at times. Um so I think Ben needs a change of scenery. Um mentally, he looked out of it in this series. Uh and and Ben Simmons is a guy where he needs this. Cause he's he, he's a bit laid back and chill and mellow. Some people even probably say borderline arrogant a little bit. So I, I so uh, like where the media is attacking him and everybody every which way is attacking him on the internet and so forth. He needs this. I feel like he needs this, and I think also a a a, a new scenery, a new scenery would be beneficial. It would do wonders for Ben Simmons, in my opinion, but it needs to be in a situation that perfectly fits his skill sets and allow him to um, be who he is as a player. Because, like I t- like I said, people people show you who they are, believe them. And Ben Simmons, you got to believe him. This is who he is. Like I said, the, the process is over. There's no more trust. The process. That's the problem, you know. You know, pre like I said, the previous regime said trust the process. Now you have this regime and Doc Rivers saying, "Hey, we we got to work on this." What have you guys been doing? What has Ben Simmons been doing over the past five, four to five years? What has he been doing to improve his game? He knows he has a lie, but he he knows he has a weak point, and he chooses not to work on it. That's and I, I'm gonna continue to say it. That's the difference between Giannis and Ben Simmons. Giannis knows, he knows he's not a great jump shooter. But Giannis is always aggressive. He doesn't shy away from the big moments. He doesn't shy away from his weaknesses. And yes, his his weaknesses may show, but he continues working at it 
and he's confident. Even though it's a weakness, he's confident. He doesn't let that work. He doesn't let that. He doesn't lose sleep over that. He works on his free throw shooting. Ben Simmons doesn't. <laughs> ben Simmons clearly doesn't. Because if he did, he wouldn't be as bad as he is five years into his career. Simple as that. And we could talk about we could talk about Doc Rivers. And I got I can give you guys the rundown of the series lead, the series leads that he's blown. But I tell you this, the moment that I continue to look back on, you know, after, you know, these doc, you know, after all of these opportunities that Doc Rivers has blown. I can remember where Doc Rivers left the Celtics. He left the Celtics because he didn't want to rebuild. And. Through that point. Danny Ainge didn't lose sleep. Danny Ainge didn't lose sleep. Danny Ainge didn't cry over spilled milk because Danny Ainge knew what whatever team, which were the Clippers, he knew what they were getting. He knew what they were getting. Danny Ainge didn't cry over spilled milk. Danny Ainge just went on and hired him a college coach and Brad Stevens, and Brad Stevens went on to overachieve with a like the rebuild wasn't even that long. It, it was barely a rebuild in Boston. Danny, I mean, Brad, Brad Stevens just overachieved. When Doc Rivers left the Celtics, Danny Ainge didn't cry over spilled milk because he knew, he knew what the Clippers were getting. He knew that, that he knew the Clippers were getting, to be quite frankly, an overrated coach. He knew it. He knew it. And now the Clippers know it. <laughs> he left the clip, the Clippers, you know, he left the Clippers again. Tyron Lue takes over. Tyron Lue looks like one of the better coaches in basketball right now. And uh, <laughs> Philadelphia is left is left holding the L. And Doc Rivers is their coach. Even if the like, even if the Sixers do trade trade away Ben Simmons, even if they do, even if the Sixers trade away Ben Simmons, if Doc Rivers is coaching your team. You cannot feel confident whatsoever. You cannot feel confident. If you're trying to win a championship and the ultimate goal is to win a championship, you cannot feel confident about Doc Rivers being your coach. You can't trust him. He's bad. Six and nine in game sevens. That's his career record in game sevens. And he's lost his last three game sevens. You can't trust Doc Rivers if you're trying to be a championship coach. If you're trying to be a championship team, if you think your team has enough to win the championship, please don't hire Doc Rivers as your coach. He cannot be trusted. Uh, yeah, and another big story coming out in the sports world uh, is, um, you know, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the NCAA athletes getting uh, compensation. So they're getting, you know, getting compensated. So, they're, you know, they're getting one step closer and closer to players being able to get paid. NCAA athletes being able to get paid, and uh, I think this is really important. Uh, I look because I I talked I just talked about this. I just talked about this same exact scenario with uh, the college football playoff. I talked about the college football playoff, and I talked about how the college football playoff. If you're going to add twelve teams or eight more teams and make it a new twelve team playoff format, uh, then you're talking about 
more more games, 16 to 17 games. And at that point, you're going to need to pay athletes. You're also going to have networks involved. So I thought it was really critical that if the if that college if college football wanted to move forward with expanding the playoff, then it's only right you look at the amount of games that these kids are going to have to play that that, that they're going to have to play, and then also you talk about the networks that's going to make millions and billions and bid off this college football. Like, come on, the coaches. I, that's why I talked about it last week. Um, you know, it's it's about time that players get paid. And I thought Justice Kavanaugh says something really interesting uh, concerning the NCAA's business model. And he said the, the NCAA's business model would be flatly illegal in in almost any other industry in America. And it's so true. It's so true. We're just now we're just now getting around to it and discussing it and talking about it. But this has been the converse. This has been the topic of conversation for years surrounding the NCAA. So I think the Supreme Court made the right decision. Um <clears throat> draft lottery tonight. I think the Suns, they I think the Suns and the Clippers, they play tonight game two. Um I'm expecting Devin Booker to have a really good night. Again, Devin Booker, uh, as I said, Phoenix Suns, they're rolling. Um and and Devin Booker is the best player. Uh and he's killing. So I, I'm expecting I'm expecting to be a close game. <sighs> um I, 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 you know, with Chris Paul being out, I think, like I said, D Book's gonna have a good night. Um, Cameron Payne, I look for him to have a, a, you know, a pretty decent night as well. I think he's gonna have a, I think he's gonna have, a, he's gonna show up pretty uh, well too. Uh, I'm gonna roll with the Clippers slightly. I think they gotta still. I just, I'm gonna roll with the Clippers just simply off the fact they gotta steal one on the road. They gotta split with, you know, with no CP3, you gotta split at least one. Phoenix got the first one, so I'm going to go with the Clippers. Um, but without further ado, I'm going to let you guys go. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode <clears throat> um, as much as I did. <clears throat> and I will be back on Friday for Saturday Saturday's episode. So enjoy this. Always remember two choices, one decision. I am out. Peace. Deuces. Catch you guys later. <laughs>